It's Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves... Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favouritism with him. As we uh, explore this passage this morning, I want you to know uh, one thing. I want you to know one thing, and it's this. It's that what happens in your home matters to God. What happens in your home matters to God. You might think uh, that your home is your space, that you close the door, and that what happens there is about you and no one else, that uh, what happens outside of that is God's business. But, but I want you to know this morning that every area of your life matters to God. Uh, your home isn't private. It's not beyond the realms of God. He can see what happens in there and your home is of huge importance to him. Uh, this morning, uh, Paul is talking about slavery. And we're going to get to the subject of slavery towards the end of this talk in a little uh, while. But I I want to take a broader look at this section of Ephesians because uh, Paul has just spent uh, 31 verses talking about what happens in the home. Uh, Paul goes from Ephesians 5.22 to right to the end of our passage, Ephesians 6 uh, verse 9. And he's talking about the whole subject of home. Uh, He starts off by talking about the relationship between a husband and a wife. And he says, uh, wives, you need to submit to your husbands. Uh, You need to honour them. And uh, husbands, you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Uh, Paul isn't talking about a dictatorial relationship, but he's talking about two people lovingly serving each other putting each other's needs before their own. So Paul starts this whole section on home by talking about the relationship between a husband and a wife. And then he goes on to talk about the relationship between a parent and a child. And he says, uh, parents, uh, uh, children, honour your parents. Children, honour your parents. Uh, Speak well of them, listen to them, uh, obey their uh, rules, live within uh, the system of Uh, your house, what your parents expect you to do. And in the same breath, he says, uh, children, uh, parents don't exasperate your children. Parents don't set unnecessary rules, don't irritate them, don't deliberately embarrass them when you drop them off at the school gate. Parents don't exasperate your children. Uh, Give them an example of parenting worth honouring. Parents don't exasperate your children. And then within that setting, within that context of home and relationships, that's what brings Paul uh, to talk about the subject of slavery. He says, uh, slaves, honour your master. Uh, Work hard for them. Uh, Work as though uh, you're working not for an earthly master, but for your heavenly master, God in heaven. Uh, Paul says, work hard, honour them. But in the same breath again, he says, masters, treat your slaves well. 
Treat your slaves well. Don't, uh, don't threaten them. Don't abuse them. Uh, but instead, be kind. Treat them with respect. And remember that when you stand before God, uh, there will be no favourites. Uh, he will judge you just as he judges your slaves. So don't think that because you're a master, you have a better standing before God, but all of us are equal before him. Uh, Paul takes 31 verses, almost a whole chapter of this book, to talk about the whole functioning of relationships in our homes. Uh, he dedicates that much time to it because it's really, really significant to Paul. It's really, really significant to God. Our relationships and the ways that we engage with each other in our homes and in our family setup is significant and it's important to God. That's what I want to talk about first this morning, that our homes, our relationships are significant to God. And they're significant to God because our relationships, our closest, most personal relationships, help us to become and define the people that we are today and the people that we're going to be. Uh, those relationships change our worldviews. They change what we prioritise, what we don't prioritise, the ways in which we spend our time. It shapes the way that we are. I can look at my own life and see all of the ways in which uh, my parents have shaped me and changed me, the ways in which uh, my wife has changed me, the way in which my friends have changed and shaped me. I was uh, having dinner uh, a couple of years ago with uh, Alice and with one of our friends, Josh. Uh, and Alice and Josh were talking about uh, all of the different films they'd seen, talking about uh, E.T. and Jaws and The Godfather. Uh, and I realised that I hadn't seen any of those films. I grew up in a, a family where I don't know what we did with our time, but we did not watch films. That's not something that we did. So as they were talking about all of these classic, iconic films that they'd seen, I realised that I hadn't seen, a, I've not even seen any of the Legally Blondes. I've not seen any of the, the culturally defining films that I should have seen. So at the minute we are going around charity shops trying to find uh, knockoff versions, black market versions of those films uh, so that we can watch them at home and I can be culturally re-educated. Uh, I've been... Um, it was right at the, the start of, uh, of our marriage, and I, um, my alarm went off, I, I went, I showered, I won't paint you a picture with words. I got out of the shower, and I, um, I came into the bedroom, and I flicked the radio on, and I started to get dressed. Now, I, I grew up in a, a home with my, my parents where uh, the radio would be on constantly. Radio 4 would be on uh, in the morning while we're having breakfast or we're getting ready for school, it would have been on. Uh, as soon as I came home from school, the radio would have been on. It turns out that Alice did not grow up in a home where the radio was on and I was told very quickly and very sharply that the radio was going to be turned off immediately. And we started to, to work out that we grew up in different cultures and different environments and we decided to compromise on the radio being off and we put the radio in the bin. And now, that's how... Some, sometimes when Alice is out, I listen to the radio or a football podcast, but, but we grew up in different environments, and those shaped us, so we, we lived our lives differently, and as we came together, we had to work out two different cultures, two different home setups. When I was uh, a small child, maybe seven years old, um, I was given the opportunity to learn a musical instrument. And I decided, my brother was playing the violin, and I couldn't be like my brother, but my mum played the flute. And so I decided, A7, that what I really wanted to do was learn to play the flute. It's been a source of constant embarrassment to me growing up that I, uh, I played the flute for 10, 11 years, often terribly, 
But I wanted to play the flute because I'd seen my mum do it and I wanted to be like her, I wanted to emulate her. Our culture, our relationships around us, they shape us and they define us. And Paul's saying, your home is important. Because the relationships that you have there, the ways in which you engage and you interact with people, they will shape and they will define the people that you are to become. That's why Paul spends almost a whole chapter talking about those relationships, talking about the relationship between a husband and wife, a parent and child, between, in that context, a slave and a master. Because the way that we engage with each other in those settings, it shapes and it defines us. I wonder how you've been shaped and you've been defined by those relationships. I wonder what it is that you can see uh, maybe a, a parent, maybe a sibling, you can see the ways in which they've rubbed off on you and they've shaped you. We live in a, a moment in time where it's very fashionable um, to completely pan your parents and to say that my parents messed me up. If you went to Waterstones, you could buy uh, hundreds of books that talk about the different ways in which your parents ruined your life um, and different self-help books that would try and uh, persuade you to work that out. But our parents often give us really good morals, really good values. Our parents often raise us um, as best they can. So I wonder this morning, as part of thinking about home and as part of thinking about relationships, uh, where is it that you can see that your parents have given you something that you're really grateful for? What have your parents given you that you're really grateful for? Where can you see in your personality, in your character, something which you go, ah, oh, I do that because my parent did that, my carer did that, my brother or my sister did that. But what is it this morning that you're really grateful for? And alongside that, what is it that you see in yourself that you've inherited, that you've caught from your parents that you would like to see change? Our parents are often doing the best they can with what they have, but like anyone, they have their own brokenness. They have their own mess, their own junk, and sometimes that rubs off on us, and we think that we don't want that anymore. I can see in myself that I've, uh, uh, from my mum, I got a, a real competitive edge. And I, I love that. That's something that I'm really grateful for. Being competitive in some moments is a, a really helpful thing to have, but I can also see in parts of my life things that I've um, learned and caught and picked up from them and from other places, and I think, oh, I, I don't want to live like that my whole life. I wonder, where is it in your life that you can see you've picked up things from your home relationships that you want to change? Uh, as we identify those, we need to work out what is it that we're going to do about them. How is it that we want uh, to change and to become more and more the people that God is calling us to be? For me, the, the thing that I'm going to do with that is I'm going to talk with Alice about it. I don't think that I can work it all out on my own, that I am uh, able to, to live my life in isolation, but I need to talk to people about it. So I'm going to talk to Alice, and then we're going to pray and work out at how it is that I can change and become the person that I think God's calling me to be. Where is it in your life? What are the places where you recognise that you picked up something from your parents and, and we're now responsible for ourselves? It's not our parents' fault. It happens to, to everyone. That's, that's fine. But, but where is it that you want to uh, grow and to change into the person that God is calling you to be? 
Paul talks for almost a whole chapter about home relationships because home is deeply important to God. Uh, the kind of homes that we uh, grow up in and we live in now changes and they shape us. They uh, give us a different worldview. They help us to uh, make decisions and to have different values. Uh, where is it that you have stuff that you're really grateful for, that you want to say maybe thank you to your parents for, you want to say thank you to God for? And where are the parts of your life that you want to change, that you want to see uh, shift and become more and more in line with God's kingdom? See, I think God cares about homes uh, because uh, when homes go wrong, we see the consequences of them. Uh, my, uh, my wife works for a, a charity called uh, Home for Goods, which uh, is involved in uh, motivating the church to take fostering and adoption seriously. Uh, and sometimes she comes home, uh, and over dinner she tells me uh, a whole list uh, of facts and statistics uh, about uh, the life outcomes of children in care, which doesn't uh, make for a particularly light dinner time. But she, um, she was telling me a, a couple of weeks ago about some research that a group called um, Life matters. I'll find it one sec. Uh, a group called Who Cares? Who Cares Scotland? Uh, and they did a, a whole load of research uh, into the expected life outcomes of children who've had an experience of care. I just want to read you uh, some of the statistics uh, that they uh, discovered. Uh, they found that one in three of the prison population has had an experience of care. One in three members of the prison population has had an experience of care. That's uh, what uh, the people they were interviewing told them, uh, members of the prison population. Uh, they, they were talking to frontline practitioners who uh, sit down with and work with uh, members of the prison population, and they think it's probably much more likely to be closer to 50% of people in prison have had an experience of care. Uh, if you have had an experience of care, you are 50% more likely to leave school with no real qualifications. 50% more likely to leave school with no qualifications. If you've had an experience of care and you're aged uh, between 5 and 17, uh, 45 of them have been assessed to have uh, a diagnosable mental health condition. Uh, statistics show that 21% of people who experience care will become homeless within five years of leaving care. If you've had an experience of care, 21% uh, of you will have an experience of homelessness. The, um, the final stat uh, for me is the most shocking and the most surprising. Uh, people with an experience of care are 20 times more likely to be dead by the time they're 25. <coughs> people with an experience of care are 20 times more likely to be dead by the time they're 25. See, I think God cares deeply about home he cares deeply about the relationships we have there because when they go wrong, when those home relationships go wrong, the outcomes are so difficult and so disastrous for so many people. That's not God's will. That's not God's purpose. But I think God cares so deeply about our relationships at home because when they go wrong, the outcome is so significant. I don't know how those uh, statistics make you feel. Uh, for me, they make me uh, angry and they make me upset. I think this is one of the biggest injustices in our world at the moment is how uh, drastically people's lives change when they have an experience of care. I wonder what uh, your response 
is to it. I wonder uh, how you want uh, knowing that to change the way that you think and the way that you live. Home is deeply important to God. The relationships that we have there are of huge significance. Uh, How are we as the church going to engage with people, engage with those around us, engage with those we meet, whose experience of home is really difficult? Maybe your experience of home is like that. How are we going to be people that bring grace and hope and healing? How are we going to uh, show God's grace and his love to people who have an experience of care? Paul takes uh, almost a whole chapter to talk about uh, family and about home and about the significance of relationships. And at the end of uh, this section, the final four verses, he uses to talk about slavery. Paul addresses the subject of slavery. Uh, And this uh, is what he says. I'll read it again. He says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. Slaves uh, were an accepted part of Ephesian culture. Uh, It was uh, completely normal, as normal as having uh, a dishwasher in the corner of your kitchen. Uh, Families had slaves. It was part of the culture of that time. And slavery uh, was a little bit more nuanced than it is for us today. Uh, Within uh, the Ephesian and the Roman culture, there were different categories of slave. There were those slaves who were right at the bottom. Uh, They would be uh, sent down the mines to work, and their lives would be um, hard and difficult and short. Uh, They were considered to be the very lowest of the slaves. Uh, If you were slightly more fortunate, one of the options available, uh, one of the options, one of the situations you might find yourself in uh, is that you would be uh, working in the fields. Uh, Working in the fields is a a better working environment than down the mines. You would be uh, ploughing, you would be harvesting, you would be sowing, you would be involved uh, in the whole agricultural um, part of Roman Ephesian society. Uh, If you were uh, slightly more fortunate than that, if you had a, a skill to offer, Uh, you might find yourself working as part of a household. Uh, The very uh, fortunate few uh, of slaves would would find themselves working for a master uh, who would let them have savings and earn money. But even within uh, that whole broader uh, concept of slavery, which is slightly more nuanced, slaves were still not regarded as people. Uh, Slaves still had no real rights. Uh, They had... Um, no uh, meaningful rights or recognition. Life was still incredibly difficult. Even though it was slightly more nuanced than our understanding of slavery is today, it was still an incredibly difficult and an incredibly hard life. And into that uh, situation, Paul speaks about the ways in which uh, slaves should treat, uh, slaves should be treated by their masters and the ways in which slaves should be expected to be uh, treated and to work. I don't know um, what you thought as those uh, verses were being read. Um, I've heard lots of different um, explanations of this passage and these texts where what we try and do is we try and um, minimise what Paul is saying. 
We try and say, oh, well, slavery was um, so acceptable, everyone was doing it, it's part of the normal culture. And we forget that actually this should be offensive to us. I think that we should be a bit irritated and a bit annoyed by this. I certainly have been over the last couple of weeks. As I read these words, I thought, Paul, you should be condemning slavery. Paul, you should be standing up really loudly and really clearly and really strongly saying that this is a complete injustice. Uh, today, in our world, with our mindset, with the information that we have, we recognise that slavery is completely and morally reprehensible. There is no excuse for it. There is no uh, exception that we could ever make. And I've been really annoyed that Paul hasn't done that in this passage today. Uh, Paul uh, doesn't condemn it. He doesn't speak out against it. He just talks about the way in which that relationship should work. As I've uh, read and thought through and wrestled with these verses, uh, I've also um, been challenged by something else, and it's uh, the part of the Bible where Jesus calls us not to sit in judgment on people. He says uh, to someone uh, who's been caught in the way of sin and people are trying to uh, persecute them and criticize them, he says to them, uh, let you who are without sin cast the first stone. Let you who are without sin cast the first stone. And as I've uh, thought about these verses, I've come to recognize that I am no better than Paul in it. Paul lives in a culture where slavery is completely normal, where it's the accepted way of doing things, and Paul doesn't speak out against it. Paul would have had to swim uh, hard against the tide of his culture, but, but Paul doesn't do that. He, he goes along with it. Uh, now... I, we have lots of information about slavery. All we have to do is uh, go online and we can find uh, statistic information. I heard this morning there are 40 million slaves all around the world. We have a wealth of information at our fingertips. And yet for lots of us, we do nothing. Paul has very little information. His whole culture is condoning slavery and he does nothing. We live in a culture and a time where we know slavery is a huge evil, and yet for lots of us, when I look at my life, I do nothing. I might want to tell you that I condemn slavery, and I think in part I do. In part I do. So I can stand here and I can know in my head that slavery is wrong. I can stand here and I can tell you that slavery is wrong, and yet, if you looked at the decisions I make with my life, uh, the products that I consume, the way in which I consume them, you might not come to the conclusion that I condemn slavery. Uh, I go shopping and I buy uh, clothes from uh, high street brands and chains uh, that I know have very, very dodgy human rights. Uh, I buy clothes from shops that I know the supply chain is shady at best, but I'm more concerned with my, my jeans being skinny than I am with them being ethical, and so I continue to shop there. Maybe you know that about the clothes that you buy as well. I, um, I go and I uh, buy food from supermarkets that I know probably aren't ethical. I had a, a friend who tried to um, do the supply chain for all of his food so that he could know that he was buying uh, food that hadn't been touched at any point by a slave. And he said, it is almost impossible. 
He said it's almost impossible to shop in a major supermarket and buy food that hasn't been touched by slaves. He, um, he looked particularly into prawns, and he said it is impossible, almost impossible, to buy a prawn in a supermarket that hasn't been caught by someone who's kept as a slave on a ship near Thailand. He said if you're really careful and you make sure you only buy North Sea prawns, you're probably fine, probably fine, but otherwise you're completely done for. I, uh, I had a, uh, another friend, I've got another friend who lives down south, and she says, oh, it's, it's common knowledge that this farm near where we live is, um, is worked by slaves. So it's common knowledge in our village, and they supply a major supermarket. You see, we might want to sit in judgment on Paul for not condemning slavery, and yet you and me often find ourselves living lives that actively support the slave trade. I want to um, criticise Paul this morning. I want to stand in judgment on him, and yet I recognise in my own life I'm probably actually doing a lot worse. How is it that we want to live? What do we want to be known for? Uh, what is it that's important to us? Uh, do we want to be known for making uh, decisions that are ethical? Uh, decisions that uh, recognise the personhood of every single person that lives and exists? Uh, scripture teaches us that everyone is made in the image of God. That means that they have a unique dignity and worth to them, not based on where they're born, not based on what qualifications they have, not based on uh, what monetary value they can offer us, but because they carry the image of God. Uh, are we living in a way that shows that? I think often my um, attitude towards issues like slavery is very Western, it's very middle class, and it's very entitled. I want to talk about it and I want to condemn it until it becomes difficult for me and then I want to forget all about it. I want to talk about it, I want to condemn it and then when I have to work out where I'm going to buy my clothes from, I want to forget all about it. Then when I'm shopping, going and getting the food for me and Alice for the week, I want to forget this ever happened, forget it ever became an issue. And uh, when it might, I might have to have slightly less because the food is more expensive, because the clothes are more expensive. I want to pretend that this didn't happen, that no one ever said anything, that I was ignorant, and that was fine. Uh, I wonder uh, where in your life you recognise the need uh, to make your world not all about you and your comfort and your well-being, but actually uh, you're concerned with living ethically, with living justly, we're not uh, taking unfairly from people things that weren't ours, that weren't yours in the first place. This is, um, this is a really difficult subject and it's really complicated. And there's a whole web of issues that go alongside it. But I wonder if we can be uh, the kind of church that starts to think through the decisions that we make. And it's not just about living comfortably, but about living in a way that's pleasing and honouring to God. You see, because uh, ultimately our relationships are significant. The relationships that we have within our homes are important. The relationships that we have uh, with people uh, wider than that, outside of this uh, building, outside of our houses that we share this planet with, our relationship uh, with uh, the whole of creation is important and it's significant. And God speaks into them. There are bits of the Bible that are uncomfortable, 
we wish uh, said something a bit differently or we wish didn't say something at all. We need to let those sections of scripture challenge us and confront us and cause us and call us to live differently. To not sit in judgment on them, to not throw stones and to not criticise, but instead to recognise in our own self, our own sinfulness, our own brokenness, and to want to live differently as a result. Paul is uh, talking uh, for 31 verses about our home situation. Uh, he's talking about uh, the relationship between a husband and wife, a parent and child, a slave and a master. I wonder what it is this morning that you've inherited from your family that you're really proud of, that you recognise is a gift from God through them. But where is it that there's some uh, brokenness that you've inherited that you're now responsible for and you need to work out how God is going to uh, heal that and change that and transform that in you and through you. And alongside that, I wonder how you hear the challenge from this passage this morning uh, around the issue of slavery. Uh, where is it that you recognise that you are complicit in this? Where is it that you want to sit in judgement when in reality maybe we need to work out how it is that we're going to live and we're going to engage with the world this morning? Thank you.